Hi everyone, and welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is July 28, 2016. Not 30 miles outside of Tokyo, a horrific series of murders occurred at a healthcare facility. Michael, mass murders like this occur so rarely in Japan. In fact, the Prime Minister received condolence letters from Putin and also from Obama. It's a very rare occurrence, but nevertheless, we do have a few instances in the post-war era of mass killings. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very difficult, of course, given the fact that, well, it's a very strange way of putting it, having virtually no firearms in the country means that for a person wishing to commit an act of mass killing, uh, it requires a great deal more work mm -hmm. uh, than it does, for example, in the United States, where these sort of mass killings on an annual basis, uh, in just in this last year, the number of persons killed in, in mass slayings is more than the entire number in the post-war era in Japan. That's an uh, amazing statistic. It's, it's just an amazing fact, but that we had, for example, one gun fatality in Japan last year, mm -hmm. whereas in the United States they had 13,000. This it, It's as if we're on two different planets. Right. And in this case, the uh, the assailant knew the place that he was attacking. He was a, a former employee there. He knew about the security uh, weaknesses. Uh, basically, in, in this case, he knew that the victims would not be able to fight back, that they were either physically or mentally handicapped, mm -hmm. and thus they were unable in any way to uh, resist the, his attack once he simply tied up the uh, very few caretakers. I don't, I'm not sure whether there were, there were one or two at the facility. It was simply he just went from room to room killing everyone within it. And right. uh, unfortunately, uh, the, the opportunity was there, the ability was there, and the reason we don't, I don't, I, one could reasonably be thankful that we don't have more of these attacks at all. Well, the perpetrator is a, a young worker. He was at the facility. He wrote a letter to uh, the lower house speaker of the house complaining about this facility and how these, these kinds of individuals are a drag on society and proposing uh, euthanasia where the Japanese government should actually exterminate these kinds of people. And if they weren't willing to do it, he would take it upon himself. I know. The, you would think that sending it to the speaker of the house would result in this person's being locked up for a very long time. And the, one of the issues that people are, gra is, are grappling with right now is, okay, he was put immediately, okay, he was questioned by police, put into a mental care facility, locked up for a while, mm -hmm. but was deemed within a very short period of time to be recovered. Just two, two and a half weeks. Yeah, right. and then, well, he carried out his plan, mm -hmm. which was laid out in detail. Now, it, the police in Japan are in a very difficult spot, uh, and they have been stumbling over the past few years over the issue of privacy, of, of personal freedom. Stalking. Of stalking right. over th these issues where it's unclear where should you intervene, where is the crime. Mm -hmm. uh, and unfortunately, in they have in too many cases been actually far too lenient toward persons who have made overt threats towards others. Right. And in this case, it was outlined in writing. It wasn't just, you know, we have records of, of you be calling and threatening people. No, you, you actually explained mm -hmm. to the government what I'm going to do. At which point, you, you, 
what can what could the government what should the government have done becomes is going to become a huge issue right well actually i think he perceives himself as something of a hero for having carried this crime out i mean if you look at photographs of him in the patrol car af- after he was arrested i mean he's grinning from ear to ear he's very proud of what he's been able to achieve and he's completely absolutely insane must yeah, be absolutely right. and the thing is that he what I mean, I, there's one very bizarre Twitter tweet that supposedly is associated to him that he supposedly tweeted. There's questions whether or not indeed that is his Twitter account, but he certainly used Facebook. Anyway, through social media, he interacted regarding his, his heinous plan. But in the Twitter tweet, he actually quotes from Abe Shinzo's, uh, well, he, 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 he references Abe Shinzo's famous line about wanting to make a beautiful Japan. Right. Now, whether that's really something that he did or whether this is a false, uh, a phony account is questionable. There is one of the things that has been deeply disappointing is how many uh, critics of the Abe administration have somehow associated this madman mm-hmm. with the... The, the, the associations are so bizarre, it's almost difficult for me to express them in words, that somehow the Abe administration's attitudes toward Japanese citizens is reflected in this act uh-huh. that was done. I, I, it's such a contorted and twisted view. And it's not just been one person. I've seen it in many different mm-hmm. persons making this kind of association. And I'm saying, where are you coming from with this? Right. And uh, so far, when I've tweeted back, I have not received any responses. But uh, just people who who have should know better are somehow making an association between this actions of this individual and the Abe administration, which is absurd. Well, in a span of 30 minutes, he murdered 19 people. He seriously injured another 25. And this really brings into focus an issue that we've been talking about for a long time, and that is the rate of increase of the population of Japan getting older and older, and many of them suffering from dementia, many of them going to uh, healthcare facilities they can't be taken care of by you know, their, their children or by, you know, their extended family. And they're, they're into these facilities. And these facilities, I mean, the need for them is, is tremendous. They can't be met, but they're continuing to grow. This facility out in uh, Samigahara was actually very nice on a couple of acres of land. Good facility. People were well cared for. It seemed like that was a real irritant for him. Well, somehow it's, it, it's, it's a very difficult issue in terms of, of caregivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the government is the main consumer it tries to push down wages it doesn't want it doesn't want to pay because it if it wants to pay it has to take money from the taxpayers so this job of taking care of either the uh, the physically handicapped the mentally handicapped or very elderly patients the wages there are extremely low mm-hmm. at the same time it's a very tough job and usually it's involves very very long hours so low pay Low status, long hours, tough job. No wonder they have these very marginal and even in sometimes absolutely bonkers individuals getting into the system. Mm -hmm. And we've had, unfortunately, over the last few years, increasing numbers of these kinds of murders by caregivers in these facilities because they're going farther and farther down into the, the labor pool. And 
let's let's be real. The, the currently the the unemployment rate in Japan is incredibly low. It's below, effectively below three percent, and you are now going, especially for rural facilities or semi-rural facilities like this one,、mm-hmm. they're really taking on people who shouldn't be in this business、right. at all. And yet they don't have any choice.、Mm-hmm. Well, they said one of the trigger events was that he was terminated from the care facility, and the reason for his termination, it is reported, was because he was discovered to have had a, a full body tattoo or some kind of. Well, obviously that was obviously some kind of pretext,、mm-hmm. I think, because they clearly must have also had indications that he was. Not a suitable individual. Unfortunately, he lived in the neighborhood.、Mm-hmm. He now knew the interior of the facility. He knew the, the habits of the place. In many places, the only thing that s- protects any kind of facility is anonymity, not、mm-hmm. knowing on what's on the inside. So that、right. persons like himself, who know what's going on,、uh, would they ha- they have an advantage? And if they indeed want to do some kind of criminal activity. They know where the security points are, and they know where the the weaknesses are.、Mm-hmm. Now, furthermore, these facilities, and this is case of all kinds of facilities having to do with care, except for maybe childcare in Japan, the, the elder care and care for the mentally handicapped is woefully understaffed. They are they never ever meet their quota that is required by the government、mm-hmm. in terms of the number of staff per patient. And that number is constantly falling because the the ability again to get people into these jobs. No matter better, it, more attractive places to to work. There are far more attractive places to work, and they're falling, falling farther and farther behind because we have now with the elder care population burgeoning、mm-hmm. uh, a huge ba- backlog that's developing. And so, unfortunately, while this very rare event, and let's say this is the Largest mass killing in the post-war era. There, there's only one historical instance of a larger, a, a larger number of persons being murdered, which was in the 1930s. But this is this was with 19 victims,、uh, by far the mo- the greatest act of violence of the post-war period. We should not and cannot expect that in Japan. This is. Going to lead to reforms that will end this.、Mm-hmm. Indeed, because of the very nature of the care needs, and the labor market, and the pay for the for this job, and the, the hours and the working conditions, that this is going to become really a part of the background,、uh-huh. and that these are going to these kind of incidents. It may not be nineteen persons ever again, but. Th- these kinds of killings are going to continue. Let's talk just a bit before we wrap up this segment about the death penalty in Japan. Clearly, this perpetrator will be, you know, assigned the death penalty, even if he is judged to be insane. Well, if he's insane, where are you going to put him? He's already killed nineteen people.、Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like there's a facility for him to be in put, put in、right. that he, that that would be safe for the other patients. Yeah, we'll take him. Oh yeah,、uh, no. <laughs> Uh, so this is a very clear issue there, but、uh, yeah, he will most likely be judged to be、uh, mentally competent to stand trial, and then be、mm-hmm. given the death penalty and be executed in a very short amount of time. Right. In Japan,、uh, executions are always done by hanging, and it's actually a pretty rare occurrence. There've only been what twelve or or thirteen. Uh, executions since the prime minister has been in office. The the prime minister has not 
his okay. The first, the prime minister does, is not fully is not responsible. Right. It's the the justice minister, mm -hmm. and it depends upon the justice minister. Some have actually come into office saying, "I want to clear the backlog. I want to clear my desk, so I start writing." Right. And some of them will say, "I absolutely will not rule on on taking of a life." Yeah, and and it's very difficult from their personal backgrounds to actually know which way they're going to go. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the most famous anti-death penalty advocates during the DP's, uh, during the DPJ's time in power, when she became minister, Justice Minister, did sign off on death warrants, and she did so in order to create a national discussion on the death penalty. You, it, it's a really, really bizarre situation. However, the death penalty is extremely popular, if you want to put it that way, or at least mm -hmm. has a very high level of, of public support. Yes, the number of executions that are carried out is very small, and the, the criteria for executions is very strict. You simply, you, it's almost impossible to be condemned to death for a single murder. Mm -hmm. It has to be multiple murders, it has to be with intent to cause harm uh, it cannot, lack of remorse. A lack of remorse, lack of all kinds of various criterias, criteria are applied before a death penalty is handed out. Mm -hmm. uh, recently, however, one of the seeming criteria was used to be that you didn't condemn persons who were minors, but lately that has fallen to the wayside. And indeed, we have had minor persons who committed a crime while. At, a legally a minor, which is below 20 years of age, mm -hmm. uh, receiving the death penalty. Right. One of the interesting features of the death penalty implementation here in Japan is that nobody is really told about it. The, um, the, the person who is to be executed has maybe four or six hours of notice before he is executed. So they're in this holding pen for, for years and years, it's not a holding pen. I mean, they are yeah, they're on death row. They're on death row in solitary confinement without any knowledge of, of where they stand in terms of being executed, right. except that in virtually all cases, the Supreme Court has ruled that the, the execution can go forward so that the case has been examined. Mm -hmm. And there are about a thousand persons now on death row. Uh, now, that's a relatively small number when you consider the fact that there are about a thousand homicides per year in Japan, total. Uh, the, the, uh, you, you, if you figure out the numbers, the number of persons who actually receive the death penalty is a vastly smaller fraction who are actually, of the persons who are actually brought in on mm -hmm. murder charges. And almost all murders are solved here. Right. Uh, there are very few unsolved cases. And when an unsolved case like the famous Setagaya family murder takes place, the, the authorities expend every bit of their energy trying to solve the case, and there's a great deal of uh, public and press interest. Even employing psychics. Yeah, whatever works. Whatever in works. In, in, in order to get this. Of course, in the past, which is what, the, when we're talking about the death penalty, what we really need to talk about is that police did create, uh, did find persons whom they could accuse Mm -hmm. of the crime and browbeat them, uh, even in some ways torture them into confessing the crime, and then the confession would be used in court right. when these persons were in fact innocent. Uh, that did take place. The procedures now are much more strict. It's very, very difficult. And in the cases of, of death penalties that have been handed out, there's only one in the past few years which there is no direct evidence or admission of the crime. Uh, 
for a death penalty, normally you have to confess, and it's clear there's video evidence, there's some kind of physical evidence that is incontrovertible. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's not the case in, in old cases, so that we have on death row, even now, some extremely aged individuals whose cases were probably decided based on very shaky mm -hmm. or, or perhaps even non-existent evidence. And they are being let out. The process to get them out is extremely slow because, well, prosecutors and the justice ministry like to pretend that they're completely in, on top of things. Mm -hmm. When in fact, in the past, the police and uh, prosecutors had a, had an an incentive to make some cases up. Mm -hmm. The tranquility and safety of Japan was shattered this week with the murder of 19 people who were in a healthcare facility. We're going to continue to follow up on this story. Please stay tuned. Welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Here on Tokyo on Fire, we don't shy away from those topics that perhaps are a little bit delicate. People don't talk about openly in, in public, for example, abdication of the current emperor. There's also a topic that's been referred to us on several occasions concerning Nippon Kaigi. This is an association of politicians and people who are involved in the legislature dealing with how Japan should be viewed internally among Japanese and how it should be portrayed externally among their trade partners and the rest of the world. It is actually a revisionist far-right organization that wants Japan to reassert itself on the world stage, Michael. Well, the Nippon Kaigi, the Japan uh, Conference, is the way they translate it into English, is an outgrowth of what was a student movement. And this, it was, it's based actually in the, uh, the Shinto Shrine Association. Mm -hmm. It seems to be an outgrowth from the desire of some members or some priestly lines within the Shinto religion to reassert basic Japanese values, what are, in their view, Japanese values. And it it's not just an association of politicians and academics, it's also got a lot of businessmen involved. There are about 38,000 Nippon Kaigi members nationwide, and, and it is somewhat secretive. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it has a website, but a lot of the parts of the website go to nowhere. Uh, they aren't really web savvy. They are certainly not trying to be uh, very demonstrative or explanatory about what the organization is. And no one would give a hoot about them, except, of course, that their honorary chairman is Prime Minister Abe himself. Right. And that a large number of members of the cabinet a huge uh, percentage, right? Are, are members. And, but then a lot of members of the LDP are. And mm -hmm. there's this idea that it represents some kind of secret society that it is in charge of Japan. In fact, Jake Adelstein of the Daily Beast wrote a, a very long article arguing that point. Mm -hmm. uh, and while that would be a great story and may impartially be true, we have to be really careful about what we say about that organization. Sure, sure. It's kind of like uh, the Knights Templar, wouldn't you say? I mean, they are committed to a kind of ethos. They're, they're committed to a, a view of Japanese-ness that they want to portray to the young people, and they want um, you know, society to be reflected in that, that view. Well, they, they certainly reflect a vision of what Shinto means. And, and for those who don't know, Shinto, the way of the gods, as it's translated, 
It's yes, it's a religious tradition, but it's split up into thousands of variations. Mm -hmm. And the idea that there is a Shinto uh, is a construct of the 19th century. And it's part of the, the nation building program that the country underwent in, in the Meiji Restoration. There was the establishment of a state Shinto mm -hmm. uh, from out of all of these different kinds of mythologies and all these different religious practices. These were all agglomerated and, and, and regularized and made into a state religion that everyone had to participate mm -hmm. in and everyone had to be uh, included in in order to have a national religious tradition. The people who are taking part in Nippon Kaigi take that very brief period of Japanese history from 1868 to 1945 and say that's Japan. Mm -hmm. That's the real mistake. That's, it's, there, all the history that came before in terms of yeah. religious practice and what has happened since 1945, that's not Japan, it is, is a ridiculous argument. The, the, that, but that's the one that Nippon Kaigi makes, and that perhaps is what is most dangerous about the organization. Right. There are a lot of things that are positive and actually quite beautiful about the philosophy of Nippon Kaigi, but it's the things that are negative or people perceive as negative that really are the main detractors. For example, let's revise the Constitution so that we have our own Constitution. I don't know what's so wrong about that. I don't think any, there's anything wrong with that at okay. all. Okay, let's make the emperor the symbol of our country and the head of our state. You know, if that's what they decide, I guess that's that's okay by me too. Well, in the case that the United States government did not think that was appropriate, and that's why the Constitution as it now stands has him as the symbol of the state, not the head of state, right. or as he existed under the Meiji Constitution, as basically the sole actor of the mm -hmm. state. Uh, that in, in the Meiji Constitution, it is very clear that the emperor is the sovereign, whereas in the modern constitution, it is the people who are sovereign. Uh, these, these differences are, are, again, they're products of the 19th century. Mm -hmm. They're not something that is traditionally Japanese. And again, Nippon Kaigi members do not differentiate this kind of state building that was done mm -hmm. in the 19th century from Japanese history. They think it's all one great continuum and that there's no interruption. There was a huge interruption. Mm -hmm. And they are talking about a very specific time period, which, let's face it, brought to J Japan to a situation where it was in direct conflict with the United States and sort of lost that. Yes, right. Well, what, let's talk about those aspects of Nippon Kaigi that are, are really negative, the things that make people wonder, you know, is this, I mean, are you a member of this secret organization? Then I'm not going to like you. By the way, the uh, current front runner for the governor of Tokyo is a member of the Nippon Kaigi. Yeah, the Nippon Kaigi, a lot of people, uh, and, and not necessarily people whom one would associate with the right wing. I know the uh, current and probably not future uh, secretary general of the LDP, Tanigaki Sadakazu is, is a member. The uh, Fukuda Yasuo, then the Fukuda family is very, very much associated with close relations with China and close relations with South Korea. They're members of the this. The former Chief Justice of the Supreme Court was at the head. Yeah, and these, these, that there is a possibility that this is just some kind of group that you have to join in order to be politically viable. Mm -hmm. That indeed you don't have to imbibe 
all of their rhetoric and all of their ideology in order to be a member and also to, to be in good standing with them. Again, the, the, one of the things that people don't emphasize about the Nippon Kaigi is how old its membership is. If you take out the politicians who are there because they want to get the support of these individuals, and you look at the, just the general membership, I swear the, the, the median age is 75. Mm -hmm. They are really, really old folks. And to think that this is somehow some kind of secret cabal that's going to take over the country, maybe, but they're going to need a lot of help, and I don't know where that help's going to come right. from. Well, it's referenced frequently whenever the issue of revising the Constitution or Article 9, whenever that, that issue comes up, Nippon Kaigi is always kind of thrown into the hopper as well. Well, the Nippon Kaigi presents a very unrepentant and easily, well, targetable group of individuals who do hold that the Meiji state, which in my view marched Japan to eventually to catastrophe, had not was in no way a bad way of organizing the Japanese people. Mm -hmm. uh, I tend to disagree. Uh, and I certainly think that for the majority of Japanese citizens, the Meiji state was a complete failure and led them in not only internationally to disaster, but nationally. The, the, and it's a very interesting situation. We have actually Nippon Kaigi members on NHK's board. In fact, one of the persons that Mr. Abe met yesterday, uh, the head of J.R. Kyushu, has been just been named to the NHK board. And he, re he, as a part of the process of becoming an NHK board member, has said that he is quitting the Nippon Kaigi. Uh, but nevertheless, mm -hmm. people with that kind of sympathies are, are now on NHK. But if you watch NHK programs, particularly their morning dramas, they are so anti-war, so anti-Meiji state. They are just virulently against what would supposedly be the Nippon Kaigi's ideology, mm -hmm. that there's this wonderful disconnect between the people who are supposedly in charge, the boards of the board of trustees, and the actual product of the nation. So that one sense is that whatever these persons, it, their positions might be, whether they might be on this board or that board, that advisory commission or this advisory commission, mm -hmm. th their eventual effect upon the Japanese people and upon Japanese life is minuscule. On the spectrum of uh, far right and far left, the political spectrum, you have the sound trucks that are out lambasting the, the Russian embassy and and you know, causing all sorts of uh, traffic panic um, by, you know, pronouncing their statements about let's return to the emperor, that sort of thing. Where does Nippon Kaigi stand? And is there anybody farther to the right of them? I don't know if there really is farther right. I mean, there, you can argue about the Nippon no Kokuro o taisetsu ni suru to the the, they call themselves Japanese Kokuro because the, the, the long phrase, the, per, the party that takes as important the Japanese heart, mind, spirit is a bit long. Right. Uh, you could argue about which one of them is more to the right, but basically they're on the same side. What's important though is here we are, today is Thursday, the 28th of July. This is the first day of the start of operations for the Comfort Women Fund. The Comfort Women issue 
is the core humiliation versus pride issue for these groups, for this right wing. And Mr. Abe, the prime minister, has absolutely undercut them on this. He, he cut a deal with the South Korean government saying, okay, we're going to establish a fund for the surviving comfort women, and we'd like you to remove the statue of the comfort woman who's in front of the... Uh, but even if you don't, it's okay because we're moving forward. That's it right. Is, it is and, a, a, a sign of appeasement, perhaps. Yeah, and, and all, of the, thing all of these thing, issues that are crucial to the Nippon Kaigi, in every instance, whether it's going to Yaskuni mm-hmm. with comfort women, Mr. Abe has not delivered for uh-huh. them. Now, if he, the honorary chairman, will not deliver and cannot deliver, who will and who can? Right. So, right. yes, the Nippon Kaigi is interesting. It's fascinating. It presents a possibility of someone being able to say, I know what really drives Japan. This, the rest of this, this is all surface. Mm-hmm. Behind it is this secret society. That's, a, that's great, okay, if you want to, to be able to sell an idea. But in terms of their actual output and influence, mm-hmm. Nippon Kaigi underdelivers for the, the firepower that it supposedly has. Thank you for that. We'll continue to watch this and identify certain groups that weld influence in Japanese politics because it's interesting and to watch what they're doing, how they're achieving their objectives is important in the overall scheme of understanding how Japan actually works. Please stay tuned. Welcome back. Yesterday, the Prime Minister announced a stupendous stimulus package that included a two and an eight, and I can't count how many zeros followed that, Michael. 28 trillion yen. That's a lot of trillions. I don't even know what to even say about that, except that I have almost had it with Mr. Abe and his Abenomics. Where did 28 million, why not... 38 or uh, 147 billion trillion or, I mean, where did this number come from and where does that money come from? The thing is, the, the venue at which this was unveiled was, okay, first it was, it's a convention for the energizing the 100 million, the, the, the dynamic engagement of the citizens slash rural revitalization association conference. Okay. Okay, an, an organization that has previously never existed. And it's all a part of these local officials meeting in the city of Fukuoka. So the prime minister goes out to Fukuoka, out in Western Japan, and at the end of this long rambling speech to these basically local officials and local business leaders says, and we're gonna kick in 28 trillion. Why not? <clears throat> Back in Tokyo, Markets crash, people's Twitter feeds go nuts, the, the, the wire services say, what did he say? What did he say? It was, in terms of a, a rollout, it was either a work of genius or the biggest screw-up that this administration has ever had. It is really curious why he would use that form at this timing. I mean, we've got two more days of election campaigning for deciding the Tokyo governor. We've been maybe 10 days away from the election of the half of the upper house. We're going into, uh, sometime in mid-next week, uh, a reshuffling of the cabinet. And a, and, a, and a summer session of the diet. That's right. What is going on in his mind? Well, first of all, they say that he's trying to influence the Bank of Japan. 
uh, in trying to offer to Bank Governor Kuroda an incentive for the Bank of Japan to further expand in some way its quantitative easing program. I'm not sure how he would do it. We are already in negative interest rates territory. What he's supposed to do in addition to that, goodness knows. That's one theory. Mm -hmm. Another one is that he wants to have a huge impact and put something together for this very short extra session that is normally just a perfunctory session to introduce the new cabinet, mm -hmm. which he's supposedly putting together right now as we speak. Uh, but the way that this was done and the absolute isolation in which he did it, I, I, mm -hmm. I, agree, I understand. Fukuoka is a city of more than a million people. It's a, the major city of Kyushu. Kyushu is not the utter rural boondocks. Okay, got that. But, but it, it but, can't be a trial balloon either. It, but but the, the, the venue was not conducive mm -hmm. to asking questions afterward. What are the details of this $28 trillion? No, the details come later. Uh -huh. uh, it was delivered to people who are already inside the tent with mm -hmm. the LDP. And in fact, the first part of the, the speech was purely LDP, insider baseball, inside trading, whatever you want to call it, entirely speaking to the choir. Mm -hmm. It was in no way trying to win over people to his Abenomics program. It was speaking to people who were already in the tent. Right. And right. then he comes up with this program, or whatever it is, of 28 trillion yen of stimulus that's supposedly to deal with the aftermath of the global slowdown involving Brexit or, and also the slowdown that's going on in China, that this stimulus package, immense, I mean, it's about 260 billion US dollars, uh, that this is somehow a planned, thought through, something I've been deeply cogitating kind of idea no way. Yes, you would think it would be a major policy statement that would occur maybe at the Conte with a, a room full of reporters. And, a, and graphs and an explanation. This is where we want to go. This is what we're going to do. This is point one, point two, point three. None of that. It's a, at the end of a very long speech, and it's just a number that's thrown out there. Well, we don't know where this is going to take us. The details are yet to be fleshed out. Please stay tuned. We're going to continue to report on this. Welcome back. Last week, we opened one of our sessions talking about Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's suffering from mob attacks in China in response to the United States lambasting China about their activities in the South China Seas. Michael, this thing is really starting to spin out of control. Well, in this week, China went out of its way to warn Japan to not get involved right. in the South China Sea's disputes th that are happening. And it's not just one South China Sea dispute, because we had the decision by an international arbitration council in favor of the Philippines regarding its claims vis-a-vis -vis China in the South China Sea, but we also had actions by Indonesian government officials meeting on one of their islands in the South China Sea. They had a cabinet meeting, in, in fact, there. So 
we have also today, I think, a, a French frigate that is trying to do a freedom of navigation operation within the South China Sea. There are all kinds of countries that are moving in and around this issue. And China went out of its way to tell Japan, stay out of this. Uh, that's a very interesting development mm -hmm. because the, the two sides have been dancing around this issue, particularly because China seems to have pulled back a little bit on the Senkaku Islands. Mm -hmm. And there is not, at least in the media, maybe if you read the Fujisanke Group publications, you probably hear about it more. But in the most part, it's very quiet as compared to it was where it was last year. They had an opportunity. They issued an, uh, a communique where the collection of, of the nations in the South China Sea area were able to say this this arbitration decision, you should follow. They actually pulled back a little bit on, on signing something that was really strongly worded, kind of letting China go with a, a, a slap on the wrist. Well, in this case, you're talking about ASEAN. And ASEAN was trying to get together all of, all of its members to put out some kind of statement in support of its member, the Philippines. Unfortunately, uh, several of ASEAN's newer members, particularly Cambodia, are very much inclined to, if not in the pockets of the Chinese government. Mm -hmm. uh, so that the eventually what came out of the ASEAN meetings was nothing. Now, what China is also trying to do simultaneously is to keep other groups out. It would like to deal with this on a bilateral relationship basis with all of the members of ASEAN and with nobody else. But mm -hmm. unfortunately, countries such as Japan have a vital interest in the South China Sea, particularly in the Japanese case, because so much, nearly all of Japan's oil, some at some point, passes through the South China Sea. Right. And Japan does not have warships escorting those tankers. It's basically on an honor system. Mm -hmm. And it's not just Japan, it's South Korea, it's China. All the nations of East Asia up until now have been basically allowing the United States Navy to be the ultimate guarantor of the safety of the delivery of their energy supplies. Mm -hmm. That's now in question with China moving into the South China Sea and building these islands and building these airstrips and putting anti-aircraft guns on them and, and fighter planes and all this material that they're putting in, they are changing the equation. Right. And it's facetious of, of China to say to Japan, don't get involved. Right. Well, geez, what is Japan going to do? Just sit there mm -hmm. and watch this entire region be taken over as a part of China? It's not in Japan's interest. It's not in Japan's, it, it's contrary to Japan's security. So this is going to be clearly something that's going to have to be worked out, but there are no really mature per persons in the room. Right. Well, it's not quite one party is rattling a saber and the other party doesn't have a saber to rattle. It's not quite like that, but it is kind of. I mean, international law, everybody should follow international law. Most of the small nations most of the companies, most of the people who are involved in commerce must follow international law. But when you get at this level, they can thumb their nose and say, look, we're not going to honor that arbitration. We're going to do whatever we want to. It's a, the, the players in this particular drama are all guilty. Let's, it's, it's an unfortunate fact. If the Chinese are looking askance at this arbitration panel's ruling, 
uh, it's not really possible for Japan or the United States to say, you are a bad boy. Mm -hmm. You should join the international community in obeying. Because in the case of the United States, they are not parties to the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, UNCLOS. Mm -hmm. So what's the basis of your being so high and mighty? Mm -hmm. And Japan, which is an UNCLOS um, signee, it, when it was faced with this question of the international legality of its whaling, its pelagic whaling program in the South Pacific, uh, it's now saying, well, we don't really think that that international court decision applies to us, so we're going to send out our whaling fleet, which they did. Because and, they're only capturing them. Oh, uh, yeah, no, they're going there to kill them for scientific purposes. And yes, they reduced by two thirds the number of whales that they killed, but they still went out and killed them, despite the fact that the ruling specifically states this is not in any way covered by the scientific, uh, experimental, and scientific uh, clauses inside the International Whaling Commission's mm -hmm. own. Uh, various charters. Japan has chosen in that case to follow the rules that it wants to follow. China can then turn around and say, yeah, look, yeah. we're just like you. Mm -hmm. And another aspect to this has, of course, to do with Okino Torishima. The Chinese have been condemned worldwide for building islands and creating a fait accompli. Right. And creating a territorial area where previously there was merely submerged reefs. Japan, again, is, can't be very high and mighty on this because one of its most important and an extremely expensive initiatives is the building of structures on what is essentially cannot, what cannot be claimed as an island and calling it an island, uh -huh. which is Okino Torishima. Which is uninhabitable. Which is uninhabitable. It's a pair of rocks surrounded by a coral reef in the middle of a vast area of ocean. Uh, Japan has claimed that that is actually an island that, and they have spent an extraordinary amount of money reinforcing and surrounding these two rocks with huge structures made of concrete. Oh yes, there are channels that allow the water to come every day and touch the rock and then flow away without ever eroding it in any way. And in, in, to prevent rain from eroding these things, they're covered with titanium domes. Okay. Uh, it's completely insane, except it does create, in, in the Japanese view, an economic, it does generate an, an economic exclusion zone, an mm -hmm. EEZ, which Japan furiously and vigorously enforces, and in fact is a currently a a source of tremendous tension between, with the government of Taiwan, which doesn't recognize this EEC. Again, mm -hmm. Japan's, its own escutcheon is not clean. It's, it's not able to say to other countries, don't do this, right. because they're doing it. Well, the Chinese are pouring an enormous amount of money. I don't know how much money the Tokyo government is spending on this, on the creation of this, this small island, but the Chinese are really going gung-ho. They're in fact, actually having cruise ships visit the island. Yeah, and, and, if, and if Ishihara Shintaro had his way, there'd be cruise ships visiting Okino Torishima <laughs> and looking at those two little stones. Uh, 
And I say that not because I don't like Ishihara Shintaro, but he actually visited them. It's part, I suppose you should say this as part of the uh, Olympics, that they are the ultimate southern point, not mm-hmm. of Japan, but of Tokyo. Right. They are a part of metropolitan Tokyo and are administered by the Tokyo Metropolitan Government. So Koike Yuriko, or whoever wins the governor's race over this weekend, will be in charge of those islands that are there. So, again, mm-hmm. this Chinese warning and Japanese criticism of China, they're all tied into all these actions that Japan itself has been doing. All the things you may or may not want to know, you can find out here on Tokyo on Fire. Please continue to stay tuned. We're always talking about interesting topics and things that influence the political process here in Japan. Stay tuned.